is uh, we're going to read the word together. Why don't you stand with me? We have two passages. We've been doing this for, I don't know how many months now, but um, I know I need to read the word, but I know you need to read the word. And God loves to hear his people not only worship him in song, but read his word. His word gives us life, doesn't it? Were you strengthened this week by the Word of God? Well, last week I, I taught on the Word and prayer. And as much as I love the Word and prayer, I feel like I'm this far in my faith on it. With, I don't know, from here to the moon to go. But God wants us to rely on it. And again, as I've been doing each week, each of the passages will be related directly. I can't see the conference one, so if, it, if you guys can pop that up there. But... Um, it's related to, that I actually have that one in my notes. It's related to what we'll be looking at in the text today. Uh, the first one we'll read together, um, Romans 5.5. 5. Let's read this together. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. By the Holy Spirit. God wants us to have hope. A joyful expectation. That's what that word means. But the Holy Spirit's key to all of it, isn't he? We'll look at the next verse together. 2 Timothy 1.14. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. It's interesting that we have a command to do something here, and yet it's all the Holy Spirit. So is it the Holy Spirit, or is it us? Yes the Holy Spirit through us, but we still have to decide. The Holy Spirit compels you to come today, but you literally had to get in your car. Did anyone have the Holy Spirit drag you here today? Maybe in a sense deep in your spirit, but ultimately you literally had to drive here. We have a role to play, but we need the help and the power of God. We've been praying for revival. You think our country needs it? Whew, does it need it? Washington's a mess. Hollywood's been a mess for a long time. Washington's been a mess just long as Hollywood. Uh, revival in New York, Hollywood, and Washington would be great. Those three could, but, but really, it always starts in the household of God. We can kind of point to all this other stuff, but it really starts with us. In this room, when we become disciples, sky's the limit. Revival has to start here. Uh, I'm as grieved as you are at the things that I see in the news, at the things we see every day. Lord, sometimes it's good to be quiet before you. We need you to revive us, to forgive us, to heal us, to strengthen us, to make us whole. Lord, cleanse us. Fill us with the breath of the Holy Spirit that we sang about. Fill us, Lord, with your peace, your joy. Lord, turn our own hearts away from idols and our nation. Lord, turn our own hearts back to you. Forgive us in this room of complaining, grumbling, worrying, doubting, unbelief, self-centeredness. Lord, all of these things we're guilty of and many more, but we thank you for grace. Lord, you're willing to forgive our whole nation, but one person at a time. I pray it would start in this room. Lord, anoint this time. Anoint me, I pray, with fresh oil from your spirit. 
Not that I deserve it, not that we deserve it, Lord, but we need to hear something fresh from you. But, Lord, from the old paths of the scriptures. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn with me to two places. Two places, uh, Romans 15, 13, and John 15, 8. Romans 15, 13. John 15, 8. Romans 15, 13 first. I know that comes later in your Bible, but we'll read that one first. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hands. You can use it for this service and keep it as well. Romans 15, 13, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. John 15, 8. John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. Let's pray again. Father, we pray for the work of your spirit even now. Help us to bear fruit by following you more closely. In Jesus' name, amen. We started last week's discipleship series with the foundational elements of our walk with Christ as believers. As Charles Spurgeon referred to them, the inhaling and the exhaling of the word in prayer. Yet even the physical act of inhaling and exhaling requires what? Life. We have to have life. Our mind has to be operational, prompting that responsive act of inhaling and exhaling. And similarly, we need the life of the Holy Spirit prompting not only the word and prayer, but spurring and igniting our spiritual walk. And the good news is that the Holy Spirit is infinitely more dependable than our own mind. Would you agree with that? That our brain could ever be. But Jesus knew we'd need the supernatural, a help a source beyond ourselves, a help to live as disciples. And yet, still we have this role. It's called the will. Just as we're convicted by the Holy Spirit of our need for Christ, we had to willingly surrender for salvation, didn't we? It was, it was a choice. We had to willingly surrender. The same process continues and being a, what? Disciple. Prompted by the Spirit, we have to surrender our will. So this morning, we'll look at these next two elements of discipleship living. Dependence on the Holy Spirit and commitment as a disciple. It's essentially God's purpose and His provision. Do you hear that? It's His purpose but it's also his provision. 
our acceptance. Briefly, we'll look at these two components. Understand that each of these discipleship principles, they build on one another. Last week, it was the word and prayer. Like those nutrients of water uh, and the earth. They slowly and steadily build the strength of a tree, but, but then you, know, you think about milk, again, with a newborn baby. So eventually, they're ready to walk. Aren't you glad your kids finally, well, kind of, it was harder once they started walking. <laughs> Things got really difficult. Then they're walking as teenagers, then it really gets fun, you know? But we'll need some help and some encouragement. The prerequisite for little, little ones is they need those initial nutrients. But that continues through life, Right? We still need those nutrients. As parents, in those early years, you were prompting. You were like the Holy Spirit to your little ones. You know that? You were prompting them. You were getting them in the direction they needed to go. They didn't have the Holy Spirit speaking to them. You had to do that work. Building them up, leading them. Literally, you were getting your directions from the Lord and passing them along to what? Your children. Some of you are doing that right now. And even after they're grown, you continue to do that. But now they have the ability to rely on the Holy Spirit once they reach an age of accountability. But as little ones, you have to kind of take that role of the Spirit, saying, hey, we're going to lead you in this direction. Now, something I didn't share last week, but I wanted to briefly highlight. Let me get up to our study here real quick. Something I didn't share last week. Um, but in addition to appreciating and understanding and applying these 12 principles that we'll be looking at. I put all 12 of them in the form of we statements. This will make sense in just a second. All 12 in the form of a we statement that speak to us personally and collectively. When I say that is that you individually have to be a disciple, but God wants us as disciples, plural, right? God commands and desires these steps of obedience and reliance on him in all of us, not just some of us. We've had um, a we statement on the back wall. You see it? It says, we believe. That's a we statement. We believe. I hope you all believe. But we are in this together to believe the word of God. We've had it back there for a few years. And these 12 we statements that uh, I'll put on the screen, they underscore, although I'm not putting all of them up tonight or today, uh, we're acting on what we believe. And before I put these up, let me say <clears throat> from the outset, the underpinning of this entire study is related to statements that are based on these three things. I want you to take a look here. The underpinning of the whole study is based on what is written, that's the scriptures. Even what was written before Jesus came, because some of the things that we'll look at down the line were already foundational principles. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He, he explained it. He built it up. So they were already in operation with the prophets and the writers of scripture, Moses, David. They were all disciples of Christ. Then what Jesus came... Then we have his express commands because then he formed the church. 
And then lastly, we have the necessity for us to hear, believe it, and then what's the last one? Apply it. When you're on an airplane, when they say, if the safety mask could drop down, you have to apply it, right? Before you can help your kids. We have to. So everything hinges on the, the whole study hinges on these three things. I'm not teaching it if it's not written. I'm not teaching it if Jesus doesn't expressly desire it in our life. And then lastly, if we know those first two to be true, we have to believe it. We have to apply it. Someone else can't make that choice for you. You have to make that choice. God called me to be a pastor. No one else can make that choice for me. Because I could say no to it. I don't know how many times, you have no idea how many times I wanted to run from that call. My, it's probably a thousand. But I have to say, yes, 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 yes. No one can make the choice to obey except for you and me personally for whatever God has called you to do or be in this life. And he's called all of us to be disciples. You can breathe a sigh of relief. Most of you will not be called to be a pastor. You go, whew. It ain't like the TV guys that are making millions. Let me tell you. That is not what it is. Not at all. But as a disciple, it, it will bless us more than you'll ever know if we're willing to make that decision. Can you trust Jesus? Can you trust him? Yes, we can. So here's the uh, two we statements from last week. I didn't put them up, but I wanted you to see them. And they're actually written out. Uh, all 12 are written out in this format. We rely on the Word of God. We believe the Bible. We read the Bible. We study the Bible. We apply and we teach through the entire Bible. The Bible is inherent. It is inspired by the Word of God, given for our benefit and instruction. So we take the time to study and apply God's Word in order to understand it, follow it as disciples, and are continually changed by it. Prayer. We rely on prayer. We believe and pray in accordance with the Word of God and follow the very example of Jesus, who said that his house would be a house of prayer. Christ gave us access to the throne of God, so we pray in relationship to God the Father and according to our needs. We pray personally. We pray often. We pray together and with fasting as the Lord leads, expectant that God will meet our needs and that we will encounter the peace and power of his presence. So I didn't put that up last week. I wanted you to see it in relation to the others. And then this is today's, the Holy Spirit and being a committed disciple. We depend on the Holy Spirit for holiness, love, and power. We believe that Jesus gave us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to stir us, to remind us, to lead us, to convict us, to comfort us, to empower us to live lives that reflect the character and nature of God and bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. Do you agree with that statement? Last one. And again, there'll be eight more after this. I won't keep putting up each previous week. I'm just making sure we're up to par here. And then going forward, you get two a week. We are committed to being disciples and making disciples. We believe that Jesus has called each and every one of us to be disciples. And so we willingly surrender to his command with the assurance that the Lord is well pleased Disciples will multiply, and our joy will become full. We simplify. How about this? This is so important in, in, in 2020. We simplify and prioritize our lives. 
to make the time to be discipled, to help others become discipled, for our own health and the health of Christ's church, his church. So these are kind of these we statements. And eventually they'll be on our website. There'll be, there'll be a page about discipleship, and there'll be people can come out there. They can visit and say, oh, I wonder what discipleship is. I hear that term. What does it all mean? This is what it means. This is what we collectively believe. I can say this is a we statement for me and my wife. We've lived by this since 1995, the day we got saved. Now, we've grown. There's things we didn't know when we first got saved. That's why the Lord put this series on my heart, because some of you, some of you have been discipled and didn't even know it through osmosis. No one ever took the time to personally disciple you. By the way, my hand is up. No one ever personally discipled me. I got discipled because I said, I'm going to saddle up next to this dude and this person and this person, and I'm going to listen to this teaching. And through osmosis and me like bugging people to death, I got discipled. But no one ever said personally, I'm going to disciple this guy. So this series is to disciple you from the pulpit so that you would seek out and say, how can I go beyond that? But we believe in these we statements together, or at least that's the hope. So the first thing, we'll just look at two things today. One is dependent on the Holy Spirit. We'll start there. That's where it um, really begins, is we need that help of the Spirit. And let me pose one of my, both, one of my many both-and questions that really probably get on your nerves after a while, but I'll keep doing it. Uh, will a life in the Word and prayer activate communion with, communion with the Holy Spirit, or will communion with the Holy Spirit activate a life of word and prayer? Yes. Yes. Word and prayer activates the word of the Spirit. Holy Spirit activates the word of prayer. The Holy Spirit will never stop telling you till the day you die, start praying and get in the word. And every time you get in the word and prayer, you'll say, oh, I need the help of the Holy Spirit. You ever, you, ever, you ever read, prayed, and then an hour later still feel completely inadequate? But about 10 minutes after your study, you felt like you could conquer hell itself. An hour later, you feel like, I'm done. I can't do it. Eight problems came my way. That's where the word reminds you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Because you don't always have the physical Bible in your hand, but by the way, it should be hidden in your heart. You need to memorize it. But yes, our motive should be the preeminence of God in our lives. Prayer will focus on God. The Word will focus on God, and the Spirit will focus on God. The Spirit, the Word, and prayer are interdependent. You can see I, I, put, I put this little diagram together. They're interdependent. They're always, always staying connected. In other words, the Holy Spirit reminds me of things like verses. The Holy Spirit never says to me, Socrates said. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit never says to me, you know, there was a great mathematician at Harvard. You should really follow what he did. Now, the Holy Spirit always draws me back to the Word. Uh, and then I start praying in dependence, and Lord, I need your help. And then I, I literally will say, Holy Spirit, fill me. We prayed, Lord, I need, we need fresh oil here this morning. We need an anointing. 
but they're interdependent essentials of our life and our walk in Christ. Oh, how do we know this? How do we know they're interdependent? Well, Jesus spoke to all three. He spoke to all three and said they all apply to the life of a disciple. He didn't say, uh, you know, just take one. Nobody could ever say of these three things, the Holy Spirit, the Word and Prayer, nobody could ever say, I only need one of those three. Nobody could ever say, I only need two of those three. Everyone needs three of three. It's just like in the Trinity itself, you get with salvation, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Hero Israel, our God is one. He is one, but he's one in three. Don't try and figure it out. It's way above our pay grade, <laughs> right? Way above our mental capacity. But nevertheless, all three are operational at the throne room of God throughout the universe, and these three things are similar in the sense that every believer needs all three. Nobody can get by with just one. The other thing, so Jesus taught on all three, and taught on all three being essential, with never saying, well, now that you're kind of growing in the Word, you don't need prayer anymore. You don't need the Holy Spirit that much anymore. The other thing to consider is that these three gifts from God will be there when nothing else is. Isn't that great to know? These three gifts will be there when no one else is there for you. These three will still be there. How about John the Alapatmos? He had the word hidden in his heart. He could talk to God, and he had the Holy Spirit. He said, he said right out of the gate, he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. John said, no one was with me. Caesar tried to boil me in oil, but I turned it into, by God's grace, uh, a hot tub and just didn't bother me at all. And they sent me to Patmos, but he goes, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So John was, even if he didn't have a physical Bible, he had it written in his heart, and he had the Holy Spirit, and he could pray. And God said, that's enough for me to give the entire book of Revelation. When no one else is around, these three will still be there. When you get up in the morning, you can be all alone. But the presence of the Spirit is there. The Word is there. Hopefully you have a real Bible that you can turn and open. But even if it's not, you can remember passages. And our access to the throne is always present. Fellowship may not be available at times. There's times when you say, man, I wish I could fellowship and no one's available. Everybody's got to work. Some people are sick. Sitting under preaching may not be available. It might be late on a Thursday night. There's nowhere to go for that. Well, now with YouTube and stuff like that, you essentially kind of could. Being encouraged by someone else may not be available. Say, ah, it's 3 in the morning. I don't think I should call them. <laughs> Some of you would. You know, but uh, but uh, you, may, you may think, say, well, God's still available. The Holy Spirit's still available at 3 in the morning. But these three are always present. We're focused here this morning on the personal, ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, in the life of a follower of Christ. For simplicity's sake, we can think of the ministry of the Holy Spirit here on this earth in three realms. For simplicity's sake, this morning, because there's a much larger work of the Spirit that we don't have time to get into all of it, but universal, personal, and corporate. Uh, there would be additional subcategories under each of these if I had the time to, to go into just a all-Holy Spirit teaching. For example, there's personal pre-salvation and there's personal post-salvation. 
There's personal indwelling, but there's also immersion, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All of these are kind of subcategories of the personal. I've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit since the day I got saved in 1995, June of 1995. Yet I pray constantly, I pray constantly, you heard me pray this morning, for an anointing and an outpouring on my life, even though I already have the Holy Spirit indwelling. Does that make sense? I'm praying for an overflow of the Spirit, even though I already have the Spirit in me. And you should also be praying that. Lord, not only do I have the indwelling, but Lord, I want the drenching of the Spirit in my life. Um, today is not meant to be a comprehensive teaching on the Holy Spirit, something I do want to come back to in 2020, maybe just do just a teaching on prayer and just on the Holy Spirit and also one on the word faith, just what faith means according to the Bible, what, what God would have us understand. But, uh, but it is an affirmation today that discipleship is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Can we agree on that? That if you're going to be a disciple, you have to have the help of the Holy Spirit. Even if you say, well, I'm going to read and pray, great. You still need the help of the Holy Spirit. I need the help of the Holy Spirit. I can eat healthy, but only God keeps me alive. we agree with that statement? I can exercise, only God keeps me alive. It's the same way our spiritual life. We eat healthy, the word and prayer, but only the Holy Spirit makes it all come alive. Pulls it all together that we rely on that spirit to activate the word and prayer in our lives. So we're focused primarily this morning on number two of this list, but with an I simultaneously to number three because we're also a we. Discipleship is not a me only. It is a me, but it's also a we. I have a personal walk. Me and my wife are also known as one flesh according to the scriptures. So we're a me, but we're also a we. And so are we as a church. Now, from a high level, the universal is what Jesus outlined in John 16, 8. So you say, what do you mean by this term universal? And we're talking about universal, the universal body of Christ. Jesus said, and when he, he being the Holy Spirit, has come, I'm sorry, not the body of Christ, we're talking about the whole world, period. Saved, lost, doesn't matter. Jesus said in John 16, 8, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin righteousness, and judgment to come because they do not believe in me. So that's the universal work of the Holy Spirit. Believe it or not, even people that tell you, I don't believe in God, trust me, they've been convicted more than a few times. Romans 1 tells us all about this, that, that, that everyone is without excuse. They actually do get convicted, they have a conscience. Now, over time, you can sear it to the point you no longer hear from God, but there was a time that everybody has heard someone whisper in their ear, and they didn't know where it was from, that's wrong. You're not allowed to do that. And they don't even know where it's coming from. They thought it was their grandmother. And she might have had that influence, but it really is the work of the Holy Spirit. In a universal sense, convicts people. Last night in Richmond, there was probably... Hundreds of people that got really drunk, and somewhere in the night, something told them, I probably shouldn't be doing this. But they did it anyway. What, what was it? The universal work of the Holy Spirit. They're not saved yet, 
but yet the Holy Spirit is still convicting men and saying, uh, by the way, you're closer to death now than you've ever been. What will you do? Secondly, we have the personal, and this is actually, uh, we're talking about personal for a believer. We have the inward presence, that soul-level signature and seal of God has been put in us. God can see the seal that we can't see. It's an invisible uh, in, the, in the physical realm, but not in the spiritual realm. We have that blessed assurance that we belong to Christ, and we're in Christ, and Christ is in us. Paul writes of this in Romans 8 9. He says, but you are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So Paul's saying everyone that's saved has this inward dwelling of the Holy Spirit. The inward presence of the Spirit, but also the inward seal of the Spirit. And then lastly, corporately, this is the body of Christ collectively. Again, universal applies to the unsaved world. Corporately is the body of Christ, Acts 9.31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. If we go to two services and we pack this place out, a bunch of people get saved, that's the corporate work of the Spirit among us as a group. There's not any one person, not me. I'm no more responsible for that than you are, and you're no more responsible. It's all the work of the Holy Spirit. But he does it when two or three gather together in his name. Does that make sense? That's the corporate work of the Holy Spirit. With our coming to Jesus, it was the Word of God that revealed Christ to us, and the Spirit of God drew us. So the Word revealed the truth, and the Spirit confirmed the truth and said, come, let the bride say come, let the individual say come. Now, in abiding with Jesus, the same Spirit keeps us, prompts us, guides us, convicts us, points us to Jesus through the Word. Always through the Word. Never does the Spirit say, you know what, the Word has gotten really, really stale. Go find yourself a Quran or a watchtower guide or something like that. No, it's always the Word of God. In fact, John 14, 26, 27, we're talking about the help of the Word of God, the Spirit reminding us of the help of the Word of God. Look at John 14, 26, 27. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance. He'll bring to remembrance to pick up your Bible. What was in your Bible? And to actually re-pick it up. He'll bring to your remembrance. All the things I said, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, do I give you. Aren't you glad Jesus' peace is different? It's not a pill. It's the presence of God that points us back to the Word of God. One of the Spirit's name is what? Helper. How many times we pray, Lord, I need some help. God's like, I've got good news for you. One of my names is Helper. A synonym for this is Comforter. You might, some of your Bibles may actually say the word Comforter. Both true. So let's look at uh, some of the work of the Spirit in our lives. 
We're gonna, this is not an exhaustive list, just like the prayer and the word list last week. They were not exhaustive lists. There's other things that apply to the work of the Spirit. Uh, we could go for weeks and just focus on the Holy Spirit. But this is not an exhaustive list, but it's definitely a very demonstrable list in the life of a believer and a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's go briefly through this list. If you're taking notes, by the way, the other three things that I had put up uh, on the screen, I put this morning, early this morning in our Calvary Tales Facebook page, uh, but we will have them on the website uh, probably later this week. So for those of you who don't use Facebook, you can go out to the website and they'll be out there. But, um, and that was our internal Facebook, not our public-facing one. But this, uh, this list here will go out there as well. Uh, but again, without, I don't have time to go deep into these, but just take a look. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the helper in our lives. He, he helps us literally with everything. Everything. There's not a single area where the Holy Spirit doesn't help us. He teaches us. He illuminates the Word of God. I have passages. You can look these passages up uh, when you get um, this list in front of you with a Bible, and you can take a look at them yourself. He reminds us continually. We need a lot of reminders, don't we? We can remind ourselves of things and forget it 10 minutes later. We talked about this. As you've been to the store, the only thing you went to get is the only thing you didn't get. Right? <laughs> Remind yourself. The Holy Spirit reminds us. He reveals to us God's nature. You know, we, we, we find that in our prayer life, but we... God wants us to get to know him. The Holy Spirit brings us into the presence of God. He convicts us of sin. We all have sin. And uh, the, the scriptures say if we say we have no sin, we're a liar and the truth is not in us. That we, we still, even, even years after walking with the Lord, we still have sin. And the Holy Spirit will convict us and say, I know you were doing pretty good, but that right there that you were doing all day was pride. That was pride. That was complaining. That was grumbling. I can't bless that. I won't bless that. You're not going to have my peace flowing unless you discard that. Lay it at the cross. He gives us his peace. We can't manufacture peace any more than you can manufacture a billion dollars right this second. Say, there it is, right there. You can't manufacture peace. We receive peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. My, my good friend Sam Nadler explained to me that the understanding of that is that it's like Jesus turns the faucet on and off, but he wants to turn it on on us and just flow with his peace. He produces spiritual fruit in us. We can't produce spiritual fruit unless God brings it forth. But we've got to stay grounded. We have to stay rooted. We have to be planted. We have to abide. He provides spiritual gifts. All the spiritual gifts are not to put us on a pedestal. They're to minister one to another. Right? All the spiritual gifts are to minister to each other. If your spiritual gift makes someone else feel like, well, I'm a nobody, then maybe you're shining it a little, a little wrong. You should be ministering to people. He fills us with power. We need power. You eat to have enough energy. The Holy Spirit says, I'm going to give you power that's way beyond food. He intercedes for us. Aren't you glad that when you don't know what to pray, you just sometimes are just quiet and God says, the Holy Spirit's already prayed things you didn't know you needed to pray about. He sustains us. We need ongoing endurance, don't we? 
life is a series of I felt like giving up, but didn't. Like in the hundreds. And the Holy Spirit says, no, no. Get back in the Word. Focus on me. Meditate on this passage. And then the Spirit just kind of calms our spirit, fills us with these things that we don't even know we need. So all of this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the helper in our life. Now, certainly anyone that is a disciple of Christ will love and rely on the Word of God, will grow in and rely on prayer, and will depend on and become in submission to the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't change the fact that the the discipleship itself is a choice. Did you know that? Discipleship is a choice. All have been called. All are going to have to commit. And so let's take a look at this last thing this morning, committed as disciples. Again, this entire series is meant to put it all on the table and say, this is what Jesus presented. This is what the apostles presented. This is what the scriptures present. This is God's recipe for you to find joy, peace, and see people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior that today are lost, including some of our own relatives that are prodigals that we're praying for. But God says, before you can rescue them, you need to be a disciple. They need to see the active work of God flowing in your life. You need the active word of God. Even if nobody, even if the whole rest of the world was already saved, you'd still need all of these 12 things, according to Jesus. Commitment of the disciple, the word, prayer, and the spirit, they enable us to walk as disciples, but we have to willingly say yes to Jesus' invitation and his command to be a disciple. It wasn't a request. It's a command. This is how Jesus presented the decision point for every believer. It's an all-in surrender. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, we know that the cross was a heavy thing, literally and, and obviously in, in, as it relates to its, it was capital punishment. It meant death. Um, the cross meant physical death by crucifixion. But the call to take up our cross is the call to do what? It's to die to our own will. It's to die to our will. Our plans. Our agenda, our desires. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved him, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. Paul was going this direction. The Holy Spirit said, no, you're going to go this direction. He was headed to Damascus because the Spirit said, you have a lifetime journey to Rome. Go back to a teaching I did a while back. Your, your, your meandering trip all the way to Rome is now crucified with Christ. Uh, you had plans to imprison Christians. I have plans for you to be imprisoned as a Christian. Paul, he said, Paul, you know, I'll have to show you many things you must suffer. It's a tough call. It's a, it's a dying to self, saying, Lord, your will. 
when you get to heaven and you talk to Paul, and you, if you're saved, you'll get a chance to talk to him, you will not hear Paul say, that was a really dumb decision. I should have just held out. I really should have. <laughs> it was really rough. And that snake bite thing and the shipwreck and all this stuff. I really should have held out and just did my own thing. No, he'll, he'll say it was all worth it. One of the reasons so many in the church today are not disciples, and I'm talking about the American church as a whole, and it's true worldwide as well, but the reason why so many are not actually disciples is that in many cases we've gotten away from teaching that this was the whole premise of Jesus' ministry was to make every one of his followers what? Disciples. We've gotten away from that. This discipleship is, is precisely the phase two. Remember, we talked about phase one is conversion, and phase two is discipleship. Yes, God wants everyone converted, but then they start to walk as a disciple. They sit under the teaching of Jesus. They become led of the Spirit, filled of the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. First, he does come to rescue us from our sins and from death and from an eternity in hell, that's the primary salvation component, is to save us. But, secondly, it's now to live through us as disciples. To be reflections of his light and his life to others, and especially in a dark world. That's why we have the whole light bulb icon and this whole thing, and the strings light, we're, we're, we're together, we're all to be lights for the Lord. But also, we have been called to be representations of his love for one another. I love when I hear how you guys are ministering one to another. That's literally fulfilling the desire of Jesus that we love one another, that we care for one another. So important. Jesus said, um, because you love one another, this is how the world will know that you're truly my disciple. If we love each other in a way the world doesn't do, the world will notice. Like, you mean you guys would, you would stop and take time for them? Hey, I ain't going to do that. It's a reflection. Jesus made time for the disciples. We'll make time for one another. We'll look at more of this in loving as a family next week. But, um, but we're representations just as he displayed for his disciples. Uh, the world, um, the, uh, or sh I should say this, uh, in the world today, uh, when you hear the word disciple, people don't really know what it means. But the closest term that we would have is the word apprentice. You ever seen those like old, uh, the blacksmith, and there's a guy uh, saddled up beside him and learning every little uh, move with the hammer and how hot it gets him. You're learning by what? Doing it. And today, a lot of times, we're not learning by doing. So we're, we're Christians and churchgoers, but not actual disciples because we're, we're learning it, but not actually applying it. An apprentice was doing the same thing. All right, now your turn. Now you do it. Jesus would say, all right, I preach. Now I'm going to send you guys out two by two. What? Yeah. He gave them the power of the Holy Spirit. I said, don't even take money. Remember, he sent them out two by two. Can't even take money with you. What? We need money. Nope. You're going to do the same things I did. You're learning by doing. But I'll help you. You'll have the Holy Spirit. You'll have the Word of God. Uh, we're certainly called to learn. 
I mean, we're, this is a classroom setting, if you will, this morning. I mean, even the synagogues, the, the rabbis sat because it was teaching. One of Jesus' names was teacher. So we all need teaching. I need teaching. You need teaching. I sit under teaching. I listen to other pastors and men of God that I know teach the word. We are called to learn, but then we have to follow it. We have to walk in it. We have to apply it. Uh, in um, high school, two years, I was a lifeguard. There was a classroom setting, and then came the part where you actually had to get in the pool and do it. Guess which one was a little harder? <laughs> and you had to tie your jeans and all that and make sure you could float X amount of time, and then, and then you had to do the CPR thing, and you're like, well, I can't remember this thing. That was a good, you know, all this stuff. You're, you know, you, you have to then, it's one thing to have book smart, but God says, now I'm going to have you get dust on your feet. And you've got to actually do it. <coughs> Apply it. It's interesting that the word Christian is only used in the Bible three times. Three times the word Christian is in the Bible. Believer is used four times. Disciple, more than 250. That might be a signal to us at some level. The enemy does not want the church to be disciples. Now, never mind the fact, in the true sense of the word, he doesn't want Christians to be Christians, but the word Christian has actually had so many misconnotations today that people are comfortable with the name Christian. I don't know how many times I've seen it. It's in the hundreds now. I've seen a celebrity, a sports celebrity, a Hollywood celebrity, a politician celebrity say they're a Christian, and there's nothing that remotely looks like a born-again believer in what's coming out of their life. I've been a Christian since I was, even before I was born, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> My whole relatives are Christian. We're all Christians. You're like, everything about your life is opposed to Jesus, and you just said you're a Christian. But I've never heard one of them say I'm a disciple. That's a different level. Jesus said, the world will know when you're a disciple. And by the way, you, you still will be a Christian. I am definitely a Christian, but I'm a disciple. So then the Christian actually matches up. Those two terms become synonymous instead of hypocrisy. The enemy doesn't want disciples, but the enemy is just fine with churchgoers. Just fine with that. Those that absorb but don't live out or reach out. The enemy's completely fine with churchgoers here and anywhere else in the world. William Barclay said this. He said, It is one of the supreme handicaps of the church that in the church there are so many distant followers of Jesus but so few real disciples. So few real disciples. Just imagine the impact of a church full of disciples of Jesus rather than churchgoers or distant followers. Each believer using their gifts for the Lord, willingly giving of their time, their talents, their treasures for the will and purpose of Christ, for the kingdom of God. Imagine the multiplied lives that would be changed, prayers that would be answered, the personal peace and joy that Jesus promise that so many still are not experiencing because they say, well, I accept him, my Lord and Savior. I'm going to stay right here. Now, uh, 
there's some that teach lordship salvation. If Jesus is your Lord, that you're not actually saved anyway. I actually, I lean away from that because I see in like the book of Jude, some are saved yet as by fire. You know, barely, you know, they're barely, barely by the skin of their teeth. But I'm telling you this, nobody will feel good about meeting Jesus on the beam, at the beam of the seat of Christ. Nobody will feel good about meeting Jesus saying, I decided salvation was good, but I didn't really want to be your disciple. That is not a conversation you want to have with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Any more than you would want to have a really bad mid-year review discussion times eight trillion, right? He loves us, but he also is he's also king, he's also Lord. And if he's our savior, he's worthy of this discipleship. And there's but yet there's still so few disciples, percentage-wise. Um We'll never be able to tell Jesus, well, I just couldn't do it. He said, I gave you the Holy Spirit. It was overkill. It was too much you asked of us. None of those excuses will work. Instead, we should say, Lord, we're really weak. Yes, we will do this. Please help us do it. Amen? Yes, please help us. He'll help with the commitment. In John chapter 6, Many disciples turned away. They never followed Jesus again. It said, from that time, many disciples went back and walked with him no more. And Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter's like, I kind of want to walk, but that would be the dumbest decision I could make. You actually have the words of eternal life. I, I, th- I don't think Peter had zero kind of it struggled with it. He was just like us. He kind of, we all kind of want to do our own thing. We all kind of want to say, Lord, I just want your blessing on my little list here. Bless this list. It's an awesome list. It's better than any list I've ever put together. Bless it. And God's like, I want to tear up your list. And the list he gives back, he said, this is the same list I gave 2,000 years ago. I have not changed the list. You're like, ah, I thought you'd change it in the year 2020. No. But God says, but with my list, I'll give you joy and peace. With your list, you'll strive and still not find it. So what is, what's it going to be? And Peter, Peter said, at the height of it all, you have the words of eternal life. Um, some in this room perhaps used to be disciples, but now you're distant followers. If, you, if you're honest with the Lord, you used to be a disciple, but now you're a distant follower. But Peter's answer, it's not only logical, it's instructive. How in the world could we back away from the Savior of our souls? Think about it. How in the world could we back away from the one who saved us? Peter's like, I I can't. I mean, you, you were the one that saved my soul. I must stay close to you. Do we realize it's more wrong to say no to Jesus than it is to abandon our kids. And most people wouldn't think of doing that. I mean, there's people that do, and we look at them and say, what are you thinking? God gave you the gift of kids, and you just abandon them. It breaks our heart. We go into youth correctional facilities or, or the single mom place, and we see parents that have abandoned their kids. I don't want anything to do with my kid. I couldn't care less. I just want to do my own thing. We look at that, and the Bible has said it would be worse than a millstone, better than a millstone, be put around someone's neck and then cast into the sea if they do that. 
That's what Jesus said. By the way, that was what Jesus himself said. That wasn't one of the prophets, wasn't one of the apostles. Jesus said that. He said, that kind of abandonment God hates. Well, it's worse to say no to Jesus than to abandon your kids. So we say, Lord, forgive us. Let, we're not that good at this, but we're going to follow you anyway. Amen? Then he, then he kind of fills in all the edges, all the, all the cracks. Of course, both are wrong, abandoning kids, wrong, but Jesus comes first. What do he say? Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else comes after that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, then your neighbor. Everything, every person. I love my wife. Jesus comes before my wife. My wife could be gone tomorrow. Jesus is not gone, ever. Jesus comes first. But we have to be willing. It has to be a response of gratitude. It has to be a response of obedience. It has to be a response of faith and of trust, of uh, being a disciple. And it's the best decision by far we could ever, ever, ever make aside from asking him to be our Savior, cleansing us from our sins, to be a disciple. But if Jesus is our Savior, isn't he equally our Lord? Is he like 90% Savior, 10% Lord? Or is he 100% Savior and 100% Lord? Well, I know what he is biblically. What is he to us personally? We know what he says of himself. But are we saying, Lord, I, I agree with that. I believe that. And as we come to a close, we've got eight more things that we'll be going through over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but the fundamental thing is the other eight don't matter that much if you and I aren't committed to being a disciple. I mean, they do matter. They matter a lot. They matter a ton. But they only to the extent that we say, I'm going to be a disciple, because then the fruit will come. Then the life change will come. Then the power will come. Then the impact will come. Then the relationship with the Lord will grow. And Jesus is saying, I've been waiting for you to go all in with me for a long time. I don't want you as a churchgoer. I don't want you in, in, as a Christian in, in name only, but as a disciple of me. The people would see that you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Not perfect. We'll never be that. We become more humble. By the way, the more you're filled with the Spirit, the more aware of your inadequacy you are. Not, you, it, the people that are not filled with the Holy Spirit that actually have this kind of pompousness to them. You're going, you become the opposite. You become more approachable, more like Jesus who was humble, meek. Are you ready to be a disciple? Are we ready to commit? I've never been a disciple, but, but I want to be. I know God's calling me to be a disciple. I know Jesus has made this clear. Are you ready to recommit? Say, I, I was a disciple. I was really in love with Jesus like five years ago. And lately, I've just been really cool and cold and just kind of going through the motions. And uh, yeah, I'm still saved. And I'm a, I, I like to listen to good teaching, but I, but I really don't have a heart for the Lord anymore. It's time to recommit to being a disciple. Or you are a disciple right now, and you say, I don't want to fall off. I want to stay a disciple. That's me. I'm a, I know I'm a disciple right now, but sometimes I feel like, Lord, I'm going to screw this up somehow. And he says, my life first back me. I know who I have believed in. I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. It's the Holy Spirit that will keep you, not you, but you, if you with your will, it's an act of the will, Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, not my will, but thy will be done. If you resign your will to the Lord, 
he'll take care of all the rest. Do you believe that? That's what Jesus said. He said, I'll take care of the rest. Our point is to commit. I'm going to have the worship team come up, and I want you to just bow your heads for a moment as we come to a close here. I want to ask first, uh, with our heads bowed, if there's anyone here that says, you know, I can't be a disciple yet because I haven't come to Christ yet. I haven't asked him to be my Lord and Savior. I'm, I, I haven't been saved. This has been a message, as this series is, this whole series is to the believer, calling us to be the disciples that Jesus has already outlined as his expressed will and desire and command. But... Even though this series is to the believer, um, you may be hearing you're not saved yet. I, I got saved on a message to Christians. <coughs> Me and my wife both walked an aisle on a message to believers, and it was to lukewarm believers, and we realized we're not lukewarm. We just ain't saved, you know? <laughs> so we came to Christ June 1995, 25 years coming up this June. With your heads bowed, if there's anyone here say, I, I want to give my life to Christ, I... I know Jesus wants to save me, and I want to follow him. Why don't you raise your hand right where you're at? Right where you're at, if there's anyone at all. Anyone in this room that I've not yet redeemed, I've not been born again. I've not been changed. The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things becoming new. Anyone at all, if, if that's a hand, please raise it higher so I would know for certain... <laughs> I see that hand, yes. And when we pray, um, do you see that hand? So I'll have one of our elders go talk to this one. Um, my, we're going to have someone talk with this one individual, but I want to speak to the believers. For God wants to do both. God wants to save the lost, and he wants to... Bring into the sheepfold the disciples. So we're all marching in the same direction, following the shepherds, following our master. For all of you, if you say, I want to be a disciple. I want to be a disciple. I'm committing to be a disciple. I'll probably fail, but I'll keep coming back to Jesus to stay a disciple. And you say, today... I'm committing to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want you to stand right where your head's bowed. Just stand right where you're at. I'm already standing. If you don't want to be a disciple, you don't have to stand. I'm not, I'm not even, matter of fact, I'll keep my eyes closed. I don't even need to know who's standing. I don't want to know who's standing. My eyes are closed. I have no idea who's standing and who's sitting. But you have to decide that you want to be a disciple. So I don't know who's standing. Jesus knows if you're standing. And really, I'm more kneeling in my heart than standing. But there's no room in our seating configuration for that, or you'd not get back up. But, um, but I, if, you're, if you are standing, I just want to pray with each of you, and then we'll worship together. Lord, we just bow our heads before you. Lord, we... We know your call is to be a disciple. And Lord, we want to be obedient to that call. Jesus, you're more than worthy. 
you're worthy of our life, our will, our plans, our purposes. Lord, we just we put them all in your hands. We take up the cross and follow you. Lord, we know that we'll grow and see the peace and the joy that you've desired for us. But Lord, we'll also, this may be, Lord, the key opening the door to seeing some of our kids come home to Jesus. Relatives that need to be saved. Neighbors that we can't even seem to get the right opportunity. Lord, maybe it's just waiting on you, waiting on us. And Lord, forgive us if we've become cold or we've shrunk back or we've stepped away from you. Lord, forgive us. Thank you for your grace. Help us to grow as disciples, Lord. We're going to fail, but Lord, you'll keep getting us back up. It says a righteous man may fall seven times, but yet the Lord, you'll keep getting us up. And Lord, we pray that we just kind of continue to grow little by little and more fruit will abound in our lives. And we ask this in your name. Why don't everybody stand? We'll close and worship together.